Hello, welcome back to Diary of the Mad Men, the ultimate Ozzy Osbourne podcast where we talk about everything Ozzy and everything Ozzy related. I'm Josh Crum and with us is Dan. What's up? Today's a very special day because you've heard us talk about him almost every episode that we've had. But with us today also is Ryan. What's up, guys? Thanks for having me. Appreciate it. Yeah, we're super excited to have you, Ryan. Absolutely, man. And, you know, Ryan, he's been a little under the weather, so we appreciate him battling it out for us and sticking it out and coming through for the battle of all battles today on the fifth episode. So uh, what do you guys think about this topic? I'm pumped, man. I mean, this is like two amazing Aussie records. I think there's actually a big faction of fans that almost prefer the Jakey e. Lee era, even over the Randy era. So this was a fun one to dive in and there's no secret. We all prefer and love early Ozzy. So these are two great records and I think they're very different. So I think it's going to be great to explore the differences of both Bark at the Moon and The Ultimate Sin today. You know, I never really thought about it before, but when you said that, it kind of jogged my memories. Two Randy Rhodes albums, two Jakey e. Lee albums, and then, you know, Zach comes in and has recorded pretty much everything since for the most part. Actually, if you really think about it, Zach did two albums and then it kind of fell apart a little bit with how things changed. I mean, you could almost make an argument that No Rest and, and No More Tears are kind of the two main Zach albums. Because after that, even though he's very involved, you know, outside of Black Rain, of course, where he wrote the majority of the record, that's when Ozzy started to really change when it came to osmosis and after the retirement and everything. After No More Tears, you know, the year of the retirement period, and things did kind of change after that, and it, Ozzy definitely became more of a solo act after that. It seems like a lot more outside writers and things like that. So, uh, yeah, definitely looking forward to this one. Despite, you know, there's three years between the albums, but in, in some ways it feels like, you know, 10 just between the sound changes, producer changes, and everything like that. It's fun to, uh, to dive into these because they're just so different despite being part of such a similar era. But the landscape of, of rock and roll changed so much from 1983 when you have the new wave British invasion, all this. And then all of a sudden you have, you know, Sunset Strip in 86 and glam metal and big hair. And even Ozzy fell into that trap of big hair, you know, sequins, jackets and stuff like that. Ryan, yeah. you're absolutely correct. There was a lot of change between 1983 and 1986. Yeah, he calls that his fat Elvis period, right? That's what he calls it. I love it. You know, the, here's a good thing, too. The, this is all a great point, Ryan, is what a lot of people realize. I love the sound of Bark at the Moon, but they were very unhappy with that production because it got rushed. They did not meet the deadlines and they had to leave. And I think they had to have it remixed at the last minute because they were unhappy with the first mix. But that was still Max Norman uh, from an engineering standpoint. So he got a great sound. I love the sound of Jake's guitar on it. And compared to Ron Nevison's production on The Ultimate Sin, which Ozzy likes to call The Ultimate Din, it's terrible. I don't want to rip on Ron Nevison here, but gosh, I really hate the fucking production on The Ultimate Sin. Yeah, absolutely. You know, Ozzy himself has commented that he'd like to have that album remixed. I think I can speak for all fans when I say that would be wonderful if they would do that. He teases us all the time. Yeah, you know, Jake's guitar is one thing specifically he points out, that how much better Jake's guitar should sound than it came through on the album. But, you know, both albums did well from a standpoint of sales. Bark of the Moon's Triple Platinum, it peaked at number 19 in the United States, U.S. 200. The Ultimate Scene actually only double platinum, which is still excellent. But it peaked at number six. So commercially, the ultimate scene was really a massive hit. It was huge. Actually, it was his highest album chart for a long time. And of course, led by Shot in the Dark, which is his biggest single he had ever had in his solo career also up to that point. Yeah, we'll get into Shot in the Dark more, too, because I want to have a discussion with the three of us later in the show comparing the original Phil Sassoon demo versus the Ozzy final version. But let's definitely hit on that when we get to the battle. One thing I want to mention real quick, in our group chat that we have online, Ryan has recently changed the thumbnail to Fat Ozzy from the Ultimate Sins. 
it's the it's the Kong, it's the Kong Ozzy from the uh, Lightning Strikes video. Oh yeah, it's beautiful. But now, I love when he's Kong. But now it's harder for me to find that chat because it just looks like some fat chick I've been talking to online, not <laughs> our chat that we keep going every day. So. Oh. <laughs> That's funny, man. I was going uh, to say, get out of Kentucky. Oh. <laughs> All right. Before we get started, guys, huge news. So this week, Zach Wilde's Black Label Society dropped a new single called Set Me Free. The new album, Dooney Crew Incorporated, comes out November the 25th, I believe it was. So uh, yes. what do you guys think of the new single, man, Set Me Free? I loved it. I really did. The band atmosphere that apparently they're going for with this, it, to me, it kind of really shined through. Zach's been a little one tracked for quite some time and i think he's needed other blood in the studio to kind of bounce that off and between the riff his melody is fantastic a lot of shredding going on in, in typical zag fashion but there's uh some nuances there in that solo that are just uh, are beautiful and it was great to hear yeah i agree I, i'm glad you brought out the melody because i think the melody is kick ass in the song it's definitely very, very catchy. It gets better with every listen. It's got a cool little classic mellow intro. Kind of reminded me of New Religion a little bit, right, on that one. Yeah. But then it kicks in with a killer riff. I mean, obviously, I would love to hear what Ozzy could have done with a riff like that. So sometimes I get a little frustrated that Ozzy won't let Zach write for him anymore. But I know I'm going to be... Uh, crucified here because earlier in our chat i kind of said ah fuck I, I only want zach to play the solos it's black label society but i gotta be honest man dario solos fucking shred he's a player man yeah i mentioned to you guys that there was a part of the solo that really spoke to me i said you know there's this uh a scale right there in the middle that's really i called it tasteful to you guys this morning so that's just really tasteful and after watching the video that's fucking dario that wasn't zach so yeah i think dario has the better leads if you want to know the truth i think he does also and it's kind of like ryan said i think zach needed that he needed that little push and he needed that person to bounce it off of to uh you know one person can't go in the studio and create you know he does typically 15 20 songs in a session right he's mentioned that a lot of times in the past and when you don't have anyone to bounce them off of and you're just sitting there doing them yourself, you know, you need that critical feedback sometimes. Yeah, he actually started with 30 songs for the album and they ended up with 12 on the final product. And uh, I thought the album cover looked kind of kick-ass also. The name Doom Crew Incorporated, he's been saying that with Black Label since 2000, so it's kind of a little bit old as far as that goes. But I think the, the album art and stuff looks pretty cool. And to be honest, a lot of Zach's album arts in the past have been kind of cheesy. I think the video is kind of cheesy, too. It's kind of Weezer meets Rob Zombie or some shit. I don't know. It's very weird. Zach has taken on almost a tenacious D approach in, in his in the music videos. It's been a lot of comedy. Um, to certain effect, it works okay. But the song didn't really work for me as far as the video goes. It's a little too uh, tongue-in-cheek, but uh, still doesn't distract from just a fantastic single. Agree. Much better than anything off his last album. Still frame on the V. I was like a fucking like Weezer, you know? Yeah, for sure. But, uh, Zach, he makes a point to not take himself too seriously sometimes. That they said, are having fun. He definitely doesn't take himself too seriously, and he likes to poke fun. I mean, remember the video for Sleeping Dogs, how fucking awful that was? The dude just walking down the road with blood on his shirt. <laughs> like, no one, you know, it was awful. But I think Zach gets a little bit of a kick out of that. He like, he just doesn't take it too seriously. And, it, you know, he exactly. just have fun. Yeah, it's all about fun. I think you hit on the key word there, Josh. He doesn't take himself very seriously. And I think he just, you know, I hate to have that. It's just rock and roll. But I think that sums up Zach Wild. Yeah, I think so. So anything else new going on in the world of music you guys want to discuss real quick before we jump into this? Uh, yeah, there's a new Guns N' Roses single. Just came out not too long ago. I uh, was definitely looking forward to it. I think we've all been waiting quite a long time for this. But... Uh, fell short for me 
really did. I'm you know, disappointed to say that for sure. I think we all feel the same about, uh, as we've talked in private, Chinese democracy. And despite this is supposedly a leftover, man, I just can't even picture it on that album. So it was uh, definitely a letdown for me, I will say. Yeah, it was a demo called Silkworms, right, Josh? Silkworms? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. from the Chinese democracy sessions. The first time I heard it, I really thought it was absolute rubbish. But, um, you know, the more I hear it, the more it's like, I kind of understand what he's going for. You know, I think he's really trying to emulate the Sex Pistols and just give that nasty English attitude. The song is called Absurd, by the way. I don't want to make the mistake we made last time, right, Josh? But uh, I don't know. It's just the vocal melodies are just not there. You know, I'm a big punk fan, but for some reason, this one just doesn't move me like I was hoping it would. There's some good lead playing. The production actually is not that bad. I just don't like his melodies very much. Yeah, I think there's a lot of things pretty absurd about it, to be honest with you. I think the vocal melodies aren't good. His vocal tone isn't good. And Axel can sing better than that in 2021. We've seen him in concert, seen videos all over YouTube. He can still sing. I don't know why that, like you said, he's going for a punk feel, but it, it this doesn't sound like Axl Rose. And after all these years, you know, you're reunited with Duff and reunited with Slash. We want a classic sounding guns. It doesn't have to be, you know, Sweet Child of Mine, but we want a classic tone for the lead single. If Absurd is on the album as track eight, I think it's perfectly fine. But what is scary for me is that is the lead single from this new album that they've been working on for the past couple of years. And that is scary in my opinion. Yeah, agreed. All three of us, as Ryan hinted at earlier, we're actually huge Chinese democracy fans. And I think we're going to do an episode about it sometime in the future because eventually we will do some other artists. But the Chinese democracy, I think, is a brilliant record. Should have been called Axel Rose, maybe not Guns N' Roses. And it would have went over better. I think that was the issue with the record uh, and the fact that it took 12,000 years to do. But there is some wonderful songwriting on it. And this song doesn't even fucking scratch its ass. It doesn't even come close. I always thought he should have called the album just GNR to where it does differentiate just a little bit from, you know, your traditional Guns N' Roses because it's definitely, you know, Chinese democracy isn't traditional Guns N' Roses either. I actually thought he really could have called it Axl Rose. And, you know, Ozzy is about the only, I think, solo metal guy that left a band and had such a huge successful career. I really think that Axl Rose could have followed in those footsteps. I believe the only person you can put similar to that with Ozzy is probably Rob Zombie. Glenn Danzig, yep. if you want to consider that. But yeah, there's there's been very few really do that. That was probably a missed opportunity for Axel right there. Yeah, for sure. I, I like the zombie one. We all know I'm a diehard Danzig fan, but Danzig isn't quite mainstream. Rob Zombie, for sure. It's a great call. Yeah. The other thing I want to mention today is Eric Wagner from the band Trouble passed away recently from COVID pneumonia complications. This was crushing to me. I was a gigantic fan of the band Trouble growing up. They released some of the greatest doom psychedelic records in, of the 80s and 90s, and especially their self-titled Manic Frustration. The song The Tempter off of Psalm 9 was completely haunting, and maybe the only song that rivals the original Black Sabbath song as eerie and creepy as fuck. And it is just heartbreaking. I got to see them live on the Plastic Greenhead tour here in Phoenix. And, you know, it's just, it really bums me out, man. I, I was a huge fan of theirs. And, you know, I still listen to them all the time. And if you do not know the band Trouble, definitely listen to their self-titled and the Manic Frustration records. Everything Dan just said, they, they were the, uh, you could say the underground version of Sabbath. They, they really were. Definitely a tragic loss. Just a terrible time. It's, it's a sad day in metal music for sure. He was only 62, by the way. We're losing so many. 
or that generation is starting to to move on, and uh, we're left here with our memories and music to remember them from. You know. Yeah, for yeah. sure. I've said a, a few times, I think in the last probably year for sure, with just the insanity of COVID and all that, the next ten years, the music landscape is going to be like nothing we ever thought it was going to be. You know, it, it's going to be it's going to be some rough roads ahead for sure. I worry about the next generation of rock and roll too. Like, there's some bands out there that are great right now, and there's a lot of great young talent. Like, I'm not trying to take anything away from any of the bands out that are young, and you know, your octane bands as I call them. But we just don't have the icons anymore. You know what I'm saying? Like, there's not been any icons in the past 20 years to have really like. Who's the youngest icons you can think of? Is it like Slipknot? And <laughs> I was gonna say Machine Gun Kelly, but I know uh, you know I am happy people like that though are moving more into the rock vein. But from a metal standpoint, gosh, Slipknot's fucking old by this point. That's what I'm saying. And that's probably the, the youngest I can think of, right? Yeah. Corey Taylor it was just one with someone I would say. But, you're, yeah, you're right. They're 20-plus years in the game at this point. And, yeah. Uh, yeah. And as far as the pop generation, the pop culture, music turning to rock and roll, you know, Miley Cyrus has been at the forefront of all that also. I, heard, I found a song the other day. It's actually, I think it's been out a few years. But Miley cut a song with Billy Idol that I happened to catch on iTunes the other day. And I, I kind of enjoyed that one. Well, we all know all three of us have Billy Idol in common. His new song, absolutely fantastic, by the way. Gosh, does anybody remember it what it's bitter, called? Bitter Taste? Yeah, Bitter Taste. It's actually written about his uh, tragic motorcycle accident. Lyrics it's, are fucking heavy. The melody is great. I think that guy's so underrated as a, a melody writer. I love Billy Idol. But you're right. I think Miley Cyrus does a great job. She sprinkles in Metallica songs on her concert. I just saw her do a Pixie song live. So she definitely keeps the rock going. And I do appreciate that. I saw Billy Idol in concert. When I saw Ozzy on the opening night of the No More Tours tour in Jacksonville, Billy Idol was there the next day. And I was completely fucking tickled to see Billy Idol because I've seen almost everyone. And it's just so rare that I can catch an icon like that that I've not seen before. And I couldn't wait. And he played like a 45-minute set in the middle of the day. But it was fucking epic, man. And I really enjoyed yeah. it. In the middle of the concert, I got a text from my wife saying that my little boy had driven a golf cart that doesn't belong to us through our neighbor's garage door. So <laughs> that took the zap out of the show a little bit. But yeah, it was, it was sure still... You wanted to spank his ass when you got home. It was, but it was still a fucking great time, and I was just tickled to see him. And it was cool to see Steve Stevens and you know Billy Morrison in, in Billy Idol's band is Ozzy's best friend. So it was cool seeing those guys up there also. You know, cause was you Brian T.T. on the show? You know, to be honest, I couldn't tell who was on drums from the distance. Okay, because, you know, the odd thing about Billy Idol, the shocking thing, is he's not very prolific. I think he's only got six or seven records in his whole career, his whole solo career. Yeah. Well, he's very the, few. Even the new one's just the EP. Yeah, but he does not release music very often, so please check it out. It's a great song. All right, with that said, The Clash, The Battle, The Royal Rumble, The Thunder from Down Under, we got Bark at the Moon versus The Ultimate Sin. Dan, do you care to keep tally on our votes for who wins these matchups? Absolutely, and then we'll sum it up at the end, and then uh, one of the things we're going to do at the end is each of us are going to tell you what we feel is would be the perfect combined album out of all uh, nine songs. So before we get started, real quick, guys, I want to get your idea on... Which cover do you prefer? There's such iconic album covers. You know, the Bark at the Moon cover, I think it's kind of campy, but goddamn, is it not a great makeup job? And then, of course, the artwork is that Boris Vajeo, who does the Ultimate Sin album cover, is one of the greatest arts I've ever seen. Gotta go Bark at the Moon. Well, yeah, I'm 100% Bark at the Moon. I do love the Ultimate Sin cover. 
I personally think that Dan just wanted to brag it that he can say that guy's name. How do you say it again? Boris what? <laughs> Boris Viejo. Yeah. In Kentucky, we say Boris Viejo, but either way. Um, but now, Bark at the Moon, that, you know, in the same era as Thriller, it has that Thriller kind of feel to it with the, the moon and the werewolf. And I love it. So I got to go Bark at the Moon on that one. The odd thing about the Bark at the Moon back cover. Why the hell are the songs not in the right order? It's always driven me crazy. I have no idea why they did it that way, but it's always kind of irritated me a little bit. Why is Ozzy's name misspelled on Black Sabbath? I'm sure it's just typos or stuff that just got missed in production. Yeah, probably. I wonder, though, if maybe that was an original track listing. Yeah, uh, I've never been necessarily a fan of the flow. Bark at the Moon, it's a year no different. I've always personally thought that the best one-two punch that could possibly happen on that album is Bark at the Moon and go into Rock and Roll Rebel. So Bark at the Moon obviously was originally done on cassette and vinyl, and there used to be a lot of thought put into what started an album, what ended side one. Side one always wanted to end with a bang, just like the end of a record, just like the beginning of side two. So I think that's what they were thinking. I agree with you. I actually think it would have been better just to go Bark at the Moon, now you see it, now you don't, you're no different. Right, because I think now you see it, now you don't. Is a rocker. I fucking love that song. It's got a great riff and it, it headbangs. And Ozzy typically places ballad third, so I'm not quite sure why it's so early on the album. So I think that's a great point. But I think what they were doing with Rock and Roll Rebel being the end of side one is just trying to end on a higher note before you flip the record over. Yeah, it could be. You know, it's funny. This is kind of a different comment, but you know, Bark at the Moon. Ozzy himself has said he thought it was his most dated sounding album. And in the 90s and 2000s, I felt that way also. Bark the Moon is obviously one of my favorite albums, but it took me a little longer to come around on the album as a whole also because, to me, it did sound indeed dated. And most of that's the keyboards and just the, you know, the arrangement of the keyboards. And um, the odd thing is, I believe as time has passed, that album sounds less dated now than it did 20 years ago because I think we've kind of came back to that sound again in popular music, so it doesn't sound as dated now as it did 20 years ago. Yeah, I think, but there's a lot of gothic overtones to the album in general. I mean, Waiting for Darkness and Bark at the Moon, you're no different even. There's just a lot of gothic vibes to the record. For me, I think The Ultimate Sin is much more dated. Uh, yes, for sure. From a production standpoint, Ultimate Sin, absolutely the much more dated. And to Josh's point, 80s synthwave is enormous right now, and it has been for the last five years. I, I've been riding that wave very consistently through Spotify and lots of stuff that I've come across over the last several years. It blends in beautifully to what Bark of the Moon brings to the table, and then add in Jake's heavy, crazy guitar work. And it's just, while it might have sounded dated 20 years ago, I think it's, it just, it's a beautiful blend in 2021 outdated to not so outdated anymore it's really interesting how that happens my gut feeling is i feel like jake had more of a say on the ultimate sin to me the ultimate sin sounds much more like a jake record where i have a feeling bob is really overseeing the musical aspect on bark at the moon a little bit more i just don't know if they trusted jake you know it's big shoes to fill it's kind of very similar to the you know jason newstead and justice for all story having to follow randy rhodes after those first two records you know, I wonder if they were a little hesitant at the time, you know, to, to just give Jake all the reins. I'm not saying he didn't, you know, obviously write most of the material because, you know, obviously Bark at the Moon is all Jake, 100 percent. But, you know, just something about this record. It's so different. I have a feeling Bob is really, really contributed a lot. That's what I'm looking for. That said, are you ready to go to it? 
All right, so we're coming out of the gate swinging hard. In my opinion, these are two best songs off the record facing off each other, and this is as good of a battle as you're going to get all day. And we're going to have Bark at the Moon versus The Ultimate Sin, two title tracks, two fantastic Aussie songs. Josh, start us off. All right, it's the icon. It's the uh, the statement. It's Bark at the Moon. I absolutely love Ultimate Sin, as I'm sure we all do. The Ultimate Sin would definitely be a great sleeper in any Aussie battle. But against Bark of the Moon, I'm sorry, man, it's hitting a brick wall. I'll go Bark of the Moon. What about you, Ryan? Yeah, I, I can't I can't disagree with that, man. I, the Ultimate Sin has always been a huge, huge favorite of mine. No pun intended. It's always been a sin that it hasn't been in the set list regularly for years. Um, heavy, it's iconic. But yeah, it just you can't touch Bark of the Moon. It, it, there's too much perfection there it's just that quintessential not only ozzy song but just metal song as a whole there's it, it, it checks every box bark at the moon i agree i'm also bark at the moon i can make a case in my opinion that i think bark at the moon might be the best metal hard rock song of all time it's got everything it's got the greatest guitar riff great guitar solos by jake it's got awesome lyrics in that horror movie theme and fucking fantastic melodies by Ozzy. This is no slight to Ultimate Sin. Ultimate Sin is a fantastic song. It's just unfortunately going up against a behemoth of a track. All right, next up, You're No Different versus Secret Loser. Ryan, why don't you get us started? All right, well, I might be the outlier here. We'll see. Absolutely love You're No Different. Uh, the melody is, is dark. It, it's everything you want from an Aussie song, um, especially at that period. It just The mood is just beautiful. But I have always had a very soft spot for Secret Loser. It just hits so hard. I think that bridge is absolutely gorgeous. That line that, although it appears to me that the loser is king, it just hits and it just sounds right in the moment again another song that i feel could have been another uh, set staple at least for subsequent tours after but uh yeah i'm gonna go secret loser on this one josh nice again just like ryan said it's another tough battle i love them both secret loser definitely had a lot of lot of energy live but uh for me i gotta go you are no different for the very reasons that ryan said it's just the tone is so dark it's got such a nice, creepy tone, and I just love the sounds of that song. I don't know, we like you said earlier, in the track number two is kind of an odd place for that kind of song. You know, Normally, for track two, you want kind of a song that blisters a little bit, but uh, that said, You're No Different definitely sets the tone for the rest of the album because it's what the rest of the album sounds like. Yeah, this is a tough battle, another tough one. There are some landslides on this record where we verse each other, but this one's definitely very tough. I absolutely do love Secret Loser, especially the bridge. I think you nailed it, Ryan. Though I'm a loser, there is no winner. There's nothing left to win. I fucking love it. Matter. I just think Secret Loser is fantastic, but it just cannot compare to the emotion of You're No Different. You're No Different to me is almost a sequel to tonight it's got a wonderful bass line by bob daisley it's one of the most haunting melodies ozzy's written i love the emotion in his voice it gets me choked up sometimes i just don't think it gets much better than you're no different definitely one of those if i had to put a list of 10 favorite ozzy songs that many people don't know you're no different would be definitely high up on that list so i go you're no different next up is now you see it now you don't versus Never Know Why. All right, I will do this one. Never Know Why for me is absolutely one of my least like Ozzy songs. It just, that chorus, I, 
I don't know, me and my brother argue about this a lot. And he's right. For some reason, I some songs with the re-rock, rock, rock thing, I don't mind. But fuck, it drives me crazy on a few songs off this record. So this one to me just... I don't know. I don't like the riff very well. I think it's very stock. There's just not a lot of excitement going on on this track. Where I think now you see it, now you don't. It's got another fantastic melody by Ozzy. I think Ozzy sounds absolutely phenomenal on Bark at the Moon. I can make a case that no one captured Ozzy's voice like Max Norman, period. Even on the Speak of the Devil live show, even though it was recorded in the studio, he just knows how to capture Ozzy. And I think he captures him beautifully on Now You See It, Now You Don't. It's got a great groove. It's got a great guitar solo, everything I want in an Ozzy song. Josh, you're next. Yeah, it's Now You See It, Now You Don't for me also. Never Know Why We Rot is what my guy I played music with, Jeremy Chaney. That's what he always used to say. Never Know Why We Rot. But uh, I'm like you. I think they were trying hard to do a anthem, an 80s anthem with that song. There's something that the crowd could sing along with. Rock, you know, rock. And right. I just don't know that it ever really picked up the way they wanted it to. Now You See It, Now You Don't. A beautiful, beautifully well-written song about playing hide the sausage, right? <laughs> right. Uh, uh, I got to go Now You See It, Now You Don't. It's one of my favorites. And Jake's guitar solo in that, when it starts out with the slow, fucking absolutely love it. I would prefer that over a shredding solo any day of the week. Always. Ryan, what do you got? Yeah, I'm gonna. I'm with you guys. Now You See It, Now You Don't. Um, you know, this is, I think, where you kind of get that 80s pop element a little bit. Um in that chorus and i just i always loved it it's you know it's one of those instantaneous it's in your head you're singing it and it says every you know it's that statement song on in the middle of you know fantastic album or never know why is the beginning of to dan to your point about rocking and i know we've discussed how much everybody and everything in the whole world rocks on the ultimate sin and this was the beginning of that just always irked me to no end because through Sabbath and Ozzy solo, there was always something being said, even if it was tongue in cheek, but it was always thoughtful and deep. And this is one of those, probably the, one of the first songs where it would, that was all thrown out the window to just capture a moment in 1986. And it just doesn't do anything for me. So, uh, yeah, now you see it, now you don't for sure. That's an absolutely solid point that there was always a statement being made. And that's one of the first songs really of the, of the career, including Black Sabbath, that that went out the window. And it's not that we disliked that song that much, which just compared to the others, it definitely didn't make the kind of statement. Like you said, it was just kind of cheesy rock. Like I said, an anthem that they were trying to throw against the wall and see if it stuck. And it, I don't think it stuck. Yeah. For me, on I never know why... It just feels like Ozzy didn't write that melody for the chorus. I don't know why I feel that way, but it's just, it's too generic, man. He, but he does have an occasion of not writing the greatest choruses, but that's definitely not a great one. All right, next up, we have to add a bonus track because The Ultimate Sin has nine songs and Bark at the Moon has eight. So we have to even them up to make it nine to nine. So we are going to insert Spiders here. It was on the UK version and a B-side on the US release. So we are going to go Spiders versus Thank God for the Bomb. Josh, up to you. Okay, I am on the Aussie camp of I really love Spiders, and I pick Spiders. I've read where Aussie has said in the past that he really loved that song. He was actually verbal that he was disappointed that it was left off the U.S. release of Bark at the Moon. Uh, Thank God for the Bomb is not a song that I hate. I don't hate any of them, but 
it's always felt a little generic to me that the riff is so similar to Flying High again. And uh, it just never stuck with me the way Spiders is so creepy. Again, that undertone. I just love the, the thumping bass. Thank God for the Bomb, though, does have that awesome Jakey e. Lee dive bomb. Gotta love that part. But uh, I'm it's, going Spiders. It's not a dive bomb. He doesn't use a, he doesn't use a whammy bar. He doesn't, does he bend the nut? Uh, yeah, he bends the, the nut. nut. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. Uh, what about you, Ryan? Uh, I'm going to go Spiders on this one also. To the, my last, you know, my point with the last two tracks, this is that kind of tongue-in-cheek that just works. Um, musically, it's fantastic. Ozzy sounds amazing. Different approach for him, I think, you know, melodically. But besides that, I, w- I will say that I think Thank God for the Bomb is probably one of my biggest disappointments in, in Ozzy's solo career as far as just a song goes. Um, the chorus just doesn't go anywhere. It's repetitive falls kind of flat the song is, is never done anything for me so yeah I, without hesitation i go spiders so it's hard there are parts of thank god for the bomb that i fucking endure i think the verse melody you know the like moths to a flame is man ever going to change i think is excellent and the fucking bridge is one of my favorite moments maybe on the record and maybe one of my favorite aussie bridges today was tomorrow yesterday it's funny how time could slip away i fucking love it and then we have the chorus which just kills the song. Thank God for the Bomb might be Ozzy's worst chorus in his career, especially the Nukia Nukia. I can't stand that Nukia Nukia stuff. So I think Spiders kind of adds to my, or Spiders in the Night. I call it Spiders because that's what was on my original bootleg when I bought, but I've seen it also called Spiders in the Night. It has kind of a Sabbathy vibe to me. And it's got that gothic vibe that I was talking about earlier. It's kind of a very haunting track. You know, really, really great Ozzy performance. Definitely in character here. He's really into the song. You can tell by his performance. Just fantastic verses and chorus. I'm definitely going to go Spiders. Let me throw in one thing. You mentioned the bridge on Thank God for the Bomb. And you led right up into another great line. The face of the doomsday clock has launched a thousand wars. That's fucking great. It is great lyrics by Bob Daisley. That's great stuff. That is great stuff. That's Bob Daisley, but sounds like Geezer Butler, honestly, uh, for a line like that. It does. And we talked a lot about that where Josh and I just had a half hour discussion of comparing Bob to Geezer lyrically. And we're going to do a topic on that. I think it's going to be very interesting. All right. Next up, we have Rock and Roll Rebel versus Never. Ryan, why don't you lead us off? This one's pretty difficult for me, I will say, because I think where Never Know Why and Thank God for the Bomb felt flat, it, everything about it is made up in Never. Um, just the, the melody, the chorus, uh, everything is just is, is going for it. It's, it's beautiful. That being said, it can't top Rock and Roll Rebel. Everything about it, lyrically, Jake is on fire, Ozzy's on fire. I think it was a serious missed opportunity that it wasn't a single you know, in a video like they in 1984, I can only imagine that would have just killed. Um, so yeah, I'm gonna go Rock and Roll Rebel. It's just it, it's it's one of my favorites. All right, Josh, what do you got? I go Rock and Roll Rebel. Also, I love Never, but man, Rock and Roll Rebel. We talked a lot about this last episode on the Ultimate Aussie set list for 2021 that we thought he could still sing this song. Rock and Roll Rebel is just one of those classic Aussie songs that is. Like we said earlier, everything you want from an Aussie song, this is another one of those. I mean, it's just a, it's a rocker, has meaningful lyrics, great melody, great guitar. I go Rock and Roll Rebel. Yeah, I'm also going to go Rock and Roll Rebel, and you hit it on the head, guys. I think it's got maybe behind Bark at the Moon, Jake's other iconic riff. That riff is fucking 
hard to play, but it is goddamn is that badass. I love the riff on Rock and Roll Rebel. It's just everything I want in an up-tempo Ozzy song. When I think about, God, I wish Ozzy would write a new rock song, I always think, God, he can write another Rock and Roll Rebel. That would be amazing. You know, it's just, it's great. I think it should have never came out of the set list. We talked about that last week. Ozzy could still perform until this day. It would be a damn classic if he had never taken it out of the set list. It should have been a single, like you said, Ryan. They really dropped the ball on that one. I don't want to take anything away from Never, because after the down of Never Know Why and Thank God for the Bomb, like you said, Never definitely puts the album back on track. It does have a great lyric. I've always loved this lyric. If the Messiah is coming, will he be too late to reconcile our tears with our hate? Another great Bob Daisley lyric. Bob Daisley's on fire lyrically on uh, The Ultimate Sin, but that's a fantastic lyric. I like the melody. Another great guitar riff by Jake. I think maybe one of the better riffs on The Ultimate Sin, but unfortunately, it's up against Rock and Roll Rebel. Yeah, for those of you that may not know, we may need to throw this out there. Dan and I both play guitar in our own prospective bands. Dan has a band in Arizona, a couple bands actually. I have a band in Kentucky that plays all over. So we are guitar guys. Ryan's more of the, uh, he doesn't really play instruments, I don't believe, Ryan. Is that correct? That is correct. I look at them, though. He likes to look (laughs) at them. He knows when they're pretty. But so sometimes Dan and I will make comments about the tunings guitars are in or things like that. And to be clear, when I said he bends the nut earlier, what that means is you can go behind on the headstock of a guitar where you tune it. There is a thing there. It can be made of, it's usually plastic, but it can be made of graphite or different things. But that's called the nut, and it holds the strings in place. And you can bend those, and when you do it, it gives you that swelling sound of like a, a whammy bar. It's what Tony uses on Iron Man, actually. Yeah, that's the nut. correct. He doesn't use a whammy bar. Yeah, and also, uh, you were talking about Jakey e. Lee. I was going to comment on his playing. Jake loves to spread his fingers really fucking far apart for some yes. reason. And his shit's really, we've said this before, it's really hard to play. Jake's style is really hard to emulate, and he loves to stretch his hands and play those notes. And, like, Rock and Roll Rebel's a very key example of that, and stretch as far as he can stretch his fingers. And I don't know why he enjoys that. I don't know if it's showing off or flexing, but he definitely likes to stretch those fingers out. As a matter of fact, if you think about it, on the Ultimate Aussie Live during his guitar solo, which is completely fucking smoking, by the way, when he starts playing with his thumb over the front of the neck and he's using his thumb and his pinky to stretch even further, uh, you know, I always find that very interesting. He's Jake's an extremely interesting guitar player. For sure. And I just want to add, I absolutely love the version of Rock and Roll Rebel from Salt Lake, Utah on the 1984 live show. It's fantastic. So that closes up side one, right? Yes, it does. Absolutely, Josh. I'm very proud of you. <laughs> so here we go. Actually, we agree on all songs, but the only outlier so far, shockingly, is uh, Ryan chose Secret Loser over You're No Different. So right now, to sum it up, Josh has it five to zero, Bark at the Moon. I have it five to zero, Bark at the Moon. And Ryan has it four to one. Bark at the moon. It's a fucking bloodbath. It is a bloodbath. Can the ultimate (laughs) scene come back? We'll see. I think it can. I think it can. I will say outside of the ultimate scene, for the most part, I do think the back half of the ultimate scene, the album is better than the first half. Much better. You took the words right out of my mouth. So yeah, there's definitely hope for it yet. All right. And I'm going to start this one. We open up side two with lightning strikes versus center of eternity. This is a tough one. I think both songs are good. Neither one of them are going to be in my top Aussie songs or anything like that. And I think they're very similar. I love the tempo on Center of Eternity, even though I think they go a little overboard with the intro, obviously trying to emulate Mr. Crowley. It just goes on and on and on. Honestly, I skip it when I listen to the song. I just get straight into the riff. 
great riff. I do want to tell you on Center of Eternity, Jake's guitar solo is, if you really listen to what he's doing and watch it live from that same Salt Lake City show, it is mind-boggling how difficult that solo is. It's fucking fantastic. Overall, I think the song has a very flat chorus again. Journey to the Center of Eternity, it's just not very good. Ozzy doesn't hold the note very well. There's just something about that chorus I don't like. Now, on the other side, Lightning Strikes has one of Jake's great riffs, very much in the vein of Crazy Train. Love the verse. That won't you listen because I'm at it again. Man, the first time I heard that back in 1986, I fucking came out of my chair and was banging my head. It's definitely one of my favorite verses. I love the pre-chorus, but the chorus is horrible. Again, I don't like the chorus with the rocking all night, rocking all night, but it does rebound because of the bridge. Oh no, I've lost control. Here we go. It's only rock and roll. Not great lyrically, but great melody by Ozzy. Great song. I actually go lightning strikes here. Wow. I did not expect that. I will say, tell your mama that you're going to be late, but not to worry. We'll just be rocking all night. That (laughs) is the line that just kills it um, amongst the rest of the chorus kind of like you said uh, about rocking and rocking and everybody rocks and you rock and i rock and man it just gets to me it really really does because i think that riff is absolutely fucking killer you know ozzy's melody otherwise pretty fantastic but uh center of eternity is one that again just goes back to my childhood when i was discovering ozzy and i'm nine years old and that opening like druid-esque haunting it it, it was absolutely terrifying to me and then it just you know cuts out and it just it's a banger till the song ends i always had a blast you know listening to it on bootlegs and that salt lake show and a lot of fun you know a lot of fun in that track i'm gonna go uh center of eternity for sure josh for me this one it is one I looked at for a second before I decided which way I was going to go. But I got to be honest, Center of Eternity is a track that I almost always skip. I just have never been crazy about it. It's probably my least favorite song on Bark of the Moon. Actually, no, it's my least favorite song on Bark of the Moon. I do love this up-tempo and kind of high-octane, and I'm, I'm all about keeping energy in the live set. And, and even on the album, you know, opening side two with that powerful track that just comes in and, and goes so hard. But that said, Lightning Strikes. You know, Ryan mentioned earlier that tell your mama that you're going to be late, but not to worry, you'll be rocking all night. Does that not sound like a Gene Simmons riff more than, than Ozzy Osbourne? <laughs> it does. That's a great point. Like, that would be a great Kiss line. That would fit in on any Kiss album ever. But that said, Lightning Strikes, I do agree with the chorus being a little bit hokey. Actually, a lot hokey. Also, the rest of it, though, is, is spot on, man. Great riff, great melody on the verses, great bridge, good guitar solo. I go Lightning Strikes. Yeah, for sure. And again, this was very close. Tomorrow, I could go Center of Eternity. This is probably the closest battle, maybe, out of all of them. It's a tough one, for sure. I will say this. When I saw Ozzy live back in 86, this was the song I was most disappointed that was not played. As a young Ozzy fan, loving the record, I was just fucking shocked he didn't play Lightning Strikes. So much so, it was my prediction he was going to open the show with it, because that riff is so fucking iconic. Yeah, it's classic. All right, next up, we have, oh, this is a tough one. (laughs) So Tired versus Killer of Giants. Two completely different songs. One is a beautiful ballad. The other one, one of Ozzy's most epic songs. We're going to start with Josh. This one was probably the hardest for me. I will gladly admit I'm a sucker for the ballads. I can't help it. I love a good fucking ballad, and 
So Tired is easily one of my favorite Aussie ballads of all time. I absolutely love that song. In the past year, I've taught myself to play piano. It's a song I'm frequently kind of jamming on at the house and stuff. Love So Tired. But Killer of Giants is an epic. And we talk a lot on here about the epics. And what we mean by that is there's songs that are kind of longer than usual and kind of take a lot of different twists and turns. So this is probably the matchup that I struggled with the most. But at the end of the day, I did pick Killer of Giants. Absolutely love the classical guitar intro that's kind of Randy Rhodes-esque from Jake E. Lee. Recently read an article that Dan had sent me where Jake had said that actually the intro for Killer of Giants and then the verse was actually two different things that he had written separately, but then this later combined them. After Ozzy had written lyrics to the to the verses that he had written, then he just, it's like, well, it needs an intro. So he added the other intro that he had written separately before. So I found it to be an interesting little side note that I didn't know until recently. Killer of Giants, man, it gets heavy, it kicks in in the middle, and it, it really feels like they're in danger. You know, red alert. Uh, I just absolutely love that song, so I'll go Killer of Giants. You know, So Tired is definitely a top three favorite Aussie ballad for me. I, I've loved the song since I'm a child. I remember seeing him perform it on Solid Gold. I loved the video that Ozzy got hurt making. Uh, it's just beautiful. One of my favorite bridges of all time, the, and I often sit and wonder why you're not with me tonight. I fucking love So Tired. But Killer of Giants, man, it is one of his most epic songs. Again, a very, very difficult song to play. Guitar playing behind Ozzy's voice during the verses is very difficult. That is no joke. That's Jakey Lee is really, really hitting his stride right here on Killer of Giants. I like the lyrics. I like the overall meaning. You know, he brought it back live recently, which was great. This is about one of the only songs on this record that could have beaten So Tired. So it kind of sucks it hit up, hit up against it, but I definitely go Killer of Giants. I call myself a late bloomer to So Tired, believe it or not. I'm a huge, huge Ozzy Ballad fan. Um, this one just didn't click with me for so, so long. I would say it's probably the last 15 years I've come to absolutely adore it. And in every way, it's just phenomenal. But... Uh, when Ozzy brought back Killer of Giants to the set list, I was lucky enough on a couple of the shows to actually see that live. And I don't know if either of you guys have ever had an experience that you can harken back to, whether it was a show, a single song, or anything of the sort. But when he brought that back into the set, it was like an out-of-body experience for me. That intro into the just the dead silence ozzy holding that silence just those extra few seconds longer than the actual song calls for and then his voice kicked in just the the, the goosebumps the hair standing up and it just feeling like you're transcending in that moment and the light show is just phenomenal it was just indescribable or at least that, that's the best way I can describe it. Ever since then, the song has always held a fantastic place in my heart. Ever since that in particular, it's just that song is really, really hard to top. So for sure, Killer of Giants and, and this one without hesitation. I'm totally jealous that both of you all saw Ozzy do that on the screen tour. Yeah, it was beautiful, beautiful moments. I'm, I'm, I'm shocked that you didn't because I honestly thought he did it at, at every single show. No, he only did it at a handful of them, but he did not do it. I saw that tour in Nashville, Tennessee. He didn't play that one on that that night. So uh, definitely, Jess, I know Dan saw him do it on the Scream Tour and on the Ultimate Sin Tour. Right yeah, now. I was just going to say, Josh, I hate to rub it in, but I got to see him do it with Jake on the Ultimate Sin Tour, and it was fucking 
amazing. You know, a lot of people claim Metallica blew Ozzy off the stage on the Ultimate Sin tour. It was just not true. Metallica went over fantastic, but so did Ozzy. Ozzy was absolutely on fire in that tour. I'm so grateful I got to see the Ultimate Sin on that tour. Totally. I watched a YouTube video just the other night. It was uh, recorded with a video camera. I want to say it was live in Montreal. From the No, it was somewhere in New York for the Ultimate Sin. And Ozzy fucking killed it, man. Jakey e. Lee killed it. It was every bit as good as what you see on the Ultimate Ozzy video from, from you know Kansas City. I was watching that, and I thought about that statement, how everyone always says that Metallica blew them away. And I just don't believe that to be true either. I think, like you said, Metallica I definitely... Was there. Yeah, they definitely held their own and, and made a name for themselves, and that's what they were there for. That's what they were there to do. Let me just say this. If there were 15,000 people at the show I saw, I was at the Coliseum out here in Phoenix, Arizona Memorial Coliseum, I would say there were a rabid 2,000 Metallica fans, which was huge for opening act. I've never really seen that before. So they went over, great, but you know, there was 13,000 crazed Ozzy fans there. You know, they were still chanting the Ozzy, Ozzy, Ozzy before he came on stage after Metallica ended the show. Yeah, totally. And Jake was killing it. I mean, on that live, you know, this this is a this is a professionally released recording. I'm talking about somebody's handheld camera recording. And Jake was completely fucking slaying it. He did the exact same guitar solo. You know, I had wondered on the ultimate Ozzy when he does his guitar solo and Ozzy's pulling his hair and he's rolling around the stage and he's holding the guitar down with the neck on the stage and doing the, you know, the squeals and stuff. I always wondered if he did that night in and night out. And he did it on that. So I'm, I'm, I'm assuming it was a night in and night out thing. Ozzy didn't pull his hair, but I do know he would still do that from time to time. He did that with Randy. Oh, also. he did when I saw him. He did for sure when yeah. I saw him. So, but no, it's completely fucking smoking. And uh, Killer of Giants, you know, like Ryan said, that song just says it all for Jakey e. Lee, I think. Uh, and that's definitely his moment. But I got to point out, I would be remiss if I didn't point out the fact that Dan, Ryan, did you hear this? He just said, I saw Ozzy do it with Jakey e. Lee. Yes. <laughs> you said Ozzy <laughs> did it with Jake. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you for that. I do want to say, I almost feel in a way that Killer of Giants is kind of Revelation Mother Earth Part 2. Never really put two and two together. Obviously, Revelation is about the destruction of planet Earth, and Killer of Giants is the destruction of planet Earth through nuclear war. Yeah. It's got a similar vibe. It really is Revelation Mother Earth Part 2. So let's go. These are the winners so far. The song, Bark at the Moon, Beat the Ultimate Sin. You're No Different, Beat Secret Loser. Now You See It, Now You Don't, Destroyed, Never Know Why. Spiders, Beat, Thank God for the Bomb. Rock and Roll Rebel, Beat Never. Lightning Strikes, Beat Center of Eternity. And Killer Giant Swept the Board and Beat So Tired. So as we suggested earlier, the ultimate scene, the back half of the album is definitely a little bit stronger and it's making a comeback. I'm interested to see where this goes from here. Yeah, me too. I think one of Ryan's picks is going to determine a lot. Okay, so next up, Slow Down. Only on the American release of Bark at the Moon, not on the European version, versus Fool Like You. I believe Fool Like You is one of the most underrated Aussie tracks. It is definitely one of the strongest songs off of The Ultimate Sin. I would just like to add it to the list of songs people don't know by Ozzy that would make my top 10. Just like You're No Different, Fool Like You hits that criteria. It is everything I want in an Aussie song, even though they stole the intro from Santana. It is a great rock song. Ozzy sounds fantastic. Great guitar playing as usual from Jake. Great lyrics. It's got a great arrangement. It's like a lot of different parts to this song. And it isn't just your straight verse, chorus, verse, which I really adore about it. Slow Down is good. Very Iron Maiden-esque in its bass playing. I think Bob Daisley is shredding on the bass on this song. If you really listen to the bass, for some reason, the keyboards just kill it. I love, love the verses. 
one of my favorite melodies Ozzy's has done. The I'll never bother keeping up with you, burning the candle at both ends. It's true, fantastic. Again, not too crazy about the chorus. I think it is a little underwhelming. I give this one to Fool Like You. Ryan. Yeah, man, I have to uh, mirror almost everything you said about Fool Like You. Definitely underrated. It's a gem on this album. It's a gem in Ozzy's solo career as a whole. Definitely wouldn't mind seeing this brought out live. I don't think he even did it live then. He didn't. He's never done it, ever. Okay. I didn't think so. Well done, fantastic chorus, you know, rocking song, no pun intended for the ultimate sin. Slow Down is the one that Ozzy calls Bark of the Moon a dated album. Slow Down is the one that if a song made the, made the album feel dated, it's this one. And, it, and it's to your point, is that chorus. That, those keys come in and it just, it takes me out of the song. It really does. It just it doesn't do anything for me. It, it loses me. It's real, real hokey for the time. And I just... I don't even see that being, you know, something that would be popular in the in the synth resurgence by any means. So definitely uh, like you 10 out of 10 times in this battle. Josh. Yeah, for me, it's clearly full like you. This is the easiest pick of the battle. Slow down, kind of like Ryan was just saying, a little bit underwhelming. Definitely had that 80s hokey synth to the chorus that kind of, like he said, takes you out of it a little bit. Said to mirror everything you all said, full like you is one of the absolute undiscovered gems of Ozzy's solo career. That fucking melody absolutely knocks it out of the park for me. And you know, even me, I overlooked that song for many years. I've always enjoyed it, just like I do Secret Loser or Never Know Why. But it really clicked with me about two years ago. I was driving to work and Full Like You came on. And it just really fucking hit me like a ton of bricks after all these years. How amazing that fucking melody is in that song. Full Like You was one of my favorite songs from really any era of Ozzy when you get down to it. And it's an easy pick for me. Full Like You, that melody goes a long way. I love the lyrics also. So I go Full Like You. Great choice. That's an easy sweep. I would agree. One of the best songs off the Ultimate Sin. All right, here it is, the final song on the record. This is a big one. This is definitely another tough battle, a la So Tired versus Killer of Giants and Bark the Moon versus the Ultimate Sin. Waiting for Darkness versus the big hit Shot in the Dark, written by Ozzy and Phil Sassoon. All right, Josh, you're going to start this one. Where do you sit? All right, this is a tough one. When I first met you guys, one thing that we all three had in common was a mutual love and admiration for Waiting for Darkness. And we found it so odd that we didn't know each other, and then we meet these people who are Aussie freaks like we are, and one song that comes out that we all share such a passion for is Waiting for Darkness. That said, Shot in the Dark is one of my favorite Aussie songs of all time also. Like I said last week in episode four, should be a complete staple in the live set. Should have never left the live set. Shot in the Dark is almost as classic as Crazy Train or Flying High again, if it's not right there with Flying High again. It probably is that kind of classic, honestly. So for me, I gotta go Shot in the Dark. I do know it's a song that Jakey Lee in particular is not overly fond of. He jokes about his live set never playing that song live at any of his shows for his Red Dragon Cartel or any of his bands that he's in. That said, I do believe for a few nights he ended up playing it anyway, so what the fuck? I don't know. But I go Shot in the Dark. You know... This is a tough one, but not as tough as you would think. I know Shot in the Dark is iconic. It is a great song. I love when Ozzy pulls it out live. It should be a staple in a set. I agree with everything you said. But Waiting for Darkness 
is one of my top five favorite Aussie songs of all time. You guys know my love for fucking Bark at the Moon. Bark at the Moon and Waiting for Darkness are both top top five all-time songs for me, regardless of any artist. There is something about Ozzy's delivery, melody, the lyrics that Daisley wrote. I can't think of much more what I want out of an Ozzy song than Waiting for Darkness. The fucking guitar parts by Jakey e. Lee are phenomenal. Another song with major gothic overtones. It just speaks so much to that Ozzy persona, right? Waiting for Darkness, why doesn't anybody see now? Deafened by Silence, why doesn't anybody hear? It's, it's great lyrics. The ending gives me chills still to this day. I just imagine Ozzy like in a fucking crypt in a tomb singing this, especially when I was a kid. It's as haunting as any Black Sabbath song. Really fantastic, amazing melodies. One of Ozzy's best vocal solo performances clearly waiting for darkness ryan i can't say it any better than that dan really i mean it shine the dark is perfection you know it, it really is it's it's a always a highlight in the set when it is in the set you know and i've always always preferred almost any live version i've ever heard be it in person bootleg whatever compared to the actual album release and i think ozzy himself has probably said that multiple times fantastic song deserves every accolade it's ever gotten over the years but yeah waiting for the darkness is that that opening keyboard ozzy's melody the the haunting impending doom about all of it is just perfection you know how it never made a set live over the years i have no idea how it wasn't just a, a much much bigger song i don't know i feel like that's one kind of like fool like you kind of you know underrated gem Waiting for Darkness is maybe the most underrated gem of Ozzy's entire career. Kind of tucked away at the end of Bark of the Moon in an aficionado of Ozzy deeper cuts. Not a lot of people know the song. It doesn't get a lot of attention. It doesn't get a lot of mentions, at least not in the way that I think it deserves. Everything about it, it's beautiful. It's its haunting. Just that feeling of dread. But at the same time, Ozzy doing what Ozzy does and that his poppy melodies that despite what he's singing about it, like it gets you humming and tapping your foot and doing what he does. I got, I got to go waiting for darkness on this one. I'm cheering over here, man. I'm cheering. Thank you. Hey, I knew Jock betrayed us, man. I fucking knew it. <laughs> that, that was literally, I could have picked waiting for darkness any day of the week in that situation. So I have no hard feelings over waiting for darkness, winning that battle because I'm with you guys. That song is absolutely perfect. I love everything, but I love Jake's guitar riff on, on the intro. It's just everything about it, man. Like you guys said, the tone, it's just, it's a great song. It's, it's a great Ozzy Osbourne song. And really it's also another good representation of what the, the bark of the moon album as a whole sounds like. So yeah, I have no problems with that when winning that battle, but I just kind of want to be a little bit different on this one, I think. I have to say that pre-chorus, that I know what they'll find, it's in their mind, it's what they want to see. One of my all-time favorite melodies, man. I fu Ozzy fucking crushes it. I actually don't think he can sing this one live, Ryan. I, I, I really honestly believe that's why it was never in the set. He is hitting some major fucking notes on this song. He's really pushing himself. It sounds fantastic. And if you, if you listen to the Bark at the Moon demos, that I'm sure the three of us have all heard. He struggles a little bit with this one because I think of how ambitious the melody is. What I do want to bring up, and I, and I let on it on the intro, what do you guys compare Shot in the Dark from the Phil Sasson demo versus the finished Aussie version? What's your thoughts on that? There's definitely a heavy similarity. I mean, there's no denying that those guys probably deserved a tad piece of that writing credit. But according to Phil, he wrote that song without those guys. 
And then Ozzy, of course, comes in and puts his own melodies on it, and they change the lyrics, right? So that's where Ozzy gets his credit. But when you when I first heard that original version, it was a little bit of a gut punch because there is definitely a striking similarity that that song was not changed all that much. Yeah, I, yeah. To to Josh's point, same thing. I think what makes it the demo that it was into that smash hit that it was, it's Ozzy. You know, you, you can't you can't touch his voice even even if he was miming everything to a t he just has that pop element to him that you just can't touch yeah there's the similarities are absolutely there ozzy is who makes it an an ozzy hit i have to say i actually don't hear a lot of similarities in the vocal melody maybe in the chorus a little bit but definitely not in the verses man those verses couldn't be further apart vocally Ozzy clearly wrote the melodies on the, on his version. Maybe that, like we said, the chorus, there's some similarities, but definitely not the verses. Yeah, I was referring more, and I'm sure Ryan was also, more to the music and the chorus. I, I'll be honest. When I first bought Bark at the Moon, the very first day it came out, I was a little boy. My brother picked it up for me on his way home from football practice, and we listened to it together. And I got to be honest, when Shot in the Dark came on, you know, we hadn't heard it. It was not the first single off the record at the time yet because I bought it the first day it came out, I actually thought it did not sound very much like an Ozzy song. I remember specifically telling my brother, the first date are great, but that ninth song, it just doesn't sound like an Ozzy song. And who the fuck would have guessed? It, it really isn't. Yeah, and I suppose that's why Jake had a little bit of a problem with it also. I mean, that's not one that he had a huge part in writing, if any, really, aside from probably his guitar solo. And it ends up being yeah. the smash hit of the album. You know what I mean? And you got a guy, feel who that's, that was kind of his only contribution, and it ends up being the moment of the record. And I can see where that definitely struck ill will on the guys, you know, depending on how well they got along, for that to be the one song that really took off uh, when it's also the only one he really had a whole lot to do with. Because you know, these other songs were written with Bob Daisley. They actually were demoed with Bob Daisley as well playing bass, which I would love to hear those. Yeah, they probably have a better mix also. (laughs) That is without question. They are talking again, like you said, Josh, about remixing and remastering this record. It definitely needs a remix because I think if you change Jake's guitar tone, remove some of those keyboards, get some reverb off those drums, it could be a great record. Here's the final tally. We have the winners. Bark at the Moon beat The Ultimate Sin. You're No Different beat Secret Loser. Now You See It, Now You Don't. Swept, Never Know Why. Spiders swept Thank God for the Bomb. Rock and Roll Rebel beat Never in a clean sweep. Lightning Strikes beat Journey to the Center of Eternity. Killer of Giants swept So Tired. Fool Like You swept Slow Down. And Waiting for Darkness barely beat out Shot in the Dark. Two to one. So the final tally is Bark at the Moon six, The Ultimate Sin three. So here's the interesting fact. Josh and I agreed on every song, but the last one I picked Waiting and Josh picked Shot. Josh finished five to four. I finished six to three. Ryan got there six to three barked to the ultimate sin, which was the final score as well. But he got there in a different route by picking Secret Loser and Waiting for Darkness at the end. And I picked Lightning Strikes while he stuck with Center of Eternity. It was a fun and interesting battle. I think I used to be really high on Ultimate Sin and then I got really fucking low on Ultimate Sin. But now it's it's getting back in my good graces again. I think the production had kind of, you know, ruined it a little bit for me. You know, I'm glad to do this exercise. What do you guys think? I agree totally. It's funny that Ozzy has referred to Bark the Moon as a dated album. And here we sit today comparing the two, and we all agree that The Ultimate Sin is actually more dated than Bark of the Moon is. So, but yeah, definitely not a surprising uh, result. I thought Bark of the Moon would end up winning this battle. Ultimate Sin definitely holds its own, and there's a few losers. Like, The Ultimate Sin song, Lost, 
when that would win almost it would win almost any other battle that it would be in in the Aussie catalog. So uh, even though the Ultimate Scene lost, it definitely has its share of high moments. I'm I think the outcome is about exactly what I thought it would be. It went almost how I anticipated, and I think well, most people listening should know that uh, the three of us. I'm I tend to be the one that I think you guys might go, what the fuck when I say certain things, but. <laughs> Dan's 43 years older than I am, so... Yes, we're 43 there. years older, correct. Yes. Older, yeah. So, uh, there's the, we, we, we're, we vary in our uh, life experiences and, uh, and, and how we listen. Considering, I think we were a lot closer than I was anticipating. You know, I, I think we all were expecting a Bark of the Moon win, for sure. I think we were a lot closer than I was anticipating. It was a lot of fun seeing how we got there and what we compare and contrast together. So it was a lot of fun. I will say something interesting about Josh's list is it's very cut and dry. Side one is all Bark at the Moon. Side two is all the ultimate sin. So that's kind of cool how you did that, Josh. Yeah, I noticed that. And it's totally accident. You know, I just went track by track and evaluate each song and picked which one I thought I prefer. And like I said before, these can change day to day. You know, you are no different in Secret Loser. I could swap those on a certain day. So tired and Killer of Giants. Well, I probably would keep Killer of Giants. Yeah, I, I couldn't swap. You're not, you're no different either, but that's okay. I couldn't yeah. swap that one. So but I you, get it, but you know what I'm saying? It, it can change day to day. And when I honestly, when we first discussed battling these two albums, in my head, I had it seven to two, Bark of the Moon. But one thing that really helped me was when we slid Spiders in against Thank God for the Bomb, instead of just putting it at track Nine, that to me made the battle better because it made the matchups better i think and that really helped the ultimate sim win a few that it probably deserved to win whereas otherwise right. it would have lost otherwise we would have had so tired versus full like you that's tough so tired may very well win that one shot in the dark versus slow down shot in the dark is going to win all of a sudden you know something like that so yeah i mean that definitely i think i think spiders went and that was your call dan to put spiders in that spot i think that went into the right spot to make the battle closer uh, but ultimately, I, without even really thinking hard about it, I do know I prefer Bark of the Moon to the ultimate sin. So. All right, let's finish up. I will start our ultimate combined record. So this could be winners or losers in the battle, what we feel would be the best nine songs in order with the albums combined. All right, here we go. My album starts with Bark at the Moon. It's just in a fantastic song opener. I'm not. We don't have to go into detail on these, but I will just say Bark at the Moon is a great opener for an album. Followed by The Ultimate Sin. What a great one-two punch. Then we're going to slow it down. Ozzy likes to do his ballads at track three. I'm going to go So Tired third. I think it would be a great spot for it. Fourth, we kick it back up with Fool Like You. Fool Like You does make my final list. I think it's a fucking fantastic song. Then we close side one with Rock and Roll Rebel, just like the classic book The Moon does. Awesome, awesome way. I open side two with Shot in the Dark. I think it would be a great song to open side two with. It's his big hit. I think it would be awesome. Then we're going to go into You're No Different, another wonderful, wonderful song, almost like a Tonight on side two from Night Diary. And then we end the record with a great one-two punch. We're going to end it with Killer of Giants into Waiting for Darkness. So again, my list is Bark, The Ultimate Sin, So Tired, Fool Like You, Rock and Roll Rebel, Shot in the Dark, You're No Different, Killer of Giants, and Waiting for Darkness. Ryan, why don't you go? I'm going to go. We're sticking with opening up with Bark in the Moon because you have to. Like I mentioned before, I love the idea of Bark coming to that that end and then driving straight into the Rock and Roll Rebel riff. 
So that's by track two, going into those pounding drums of The Ultimate Sin. After that, my ballad for the album is going to be You're No Different. The centerpiece, I think, for the, the album, uh, I'm going to make that shot in the dark into Now You See It, Now You Don't, followed by Secret Loser, Killer of Giants, the track eight monster that just kind of sets the tone right before closing out the album with Waiting for Darkness. Yeah, that's fantastic. We closed the album the same way. That would be a wonderful end of, of a record. So we had two songs different. I can't wait to hear what Josh says. Josh, what do you got? Okay, so Dan and I make no secrets that we're brothers from another mother and that we have extremely similar tastes and styles and choices in a lot of things. So I will do mine briefly because it's so similar to Dan's that we've already kind of went over this. But like both of you guys, I open up with Bark of the Moon and then go into The Ultimate Sin. I think going from that track, from Bark of the Moon to The Ultimate Sin, would be absolutely fucking epic on an Aussie album. Even if it's just the greatest hits, they really ought to stick those two together because I think that would be just the perfect one-two punch right there. Track three for me is Full Like You because I like a good up-tempo rocker as track three, like a, like, a, like a lead single kind of style song. And for four, I have So Tired. So I have those switched from you, Dan. So I do Bark the Moon, The Ultimate Sin, Full Like You, then So Tired. At five, I have Shot in the Dark, Closing Out Side One. And then in Side Two, I open back up with Now You See It, Now You Don't. A little bit of energy there. Could have swapped those either way. Seven, I have Rock and Roll Rebel. And the same as you guys, but only flipped, I have Waiting for Darkness at eight and Killer of Giants at nine. So Killer of Giants would close my album, but they could go either way with those two songs. Those are both great, you know, would be great in that album closer spot. So I would have no problem doing Waiting for Darkness there either way. But I definitely like closing on the epic kind of song like Diary of a Madman. I think those are just great ways to finish out the album. It is for sure. I went more back to the to the debut and, and thought of Revelation into Steal Away. So that's where I kind of came up with Killer of Giants going into Waiting. I don't know if you thought the same thing, Ryan. Uh, I did. That that, that would almost exactly where i was at so josh we differed on one song i had you're no different and you had now you see it now you don't yeah and i could have easily switch you know switch those up I, now you see it now you don't really like i said earlier that jakey lee guitar solo puts it over the top for me i just i just really one of my favorite jakey lee moments so i really like that one for that so so i actually was really close on swapping now you see it now you don't for fool like you but i had fool like you just edge it a little bit so that was a fun exercise and a great tour. Can you imagine Ozzy doing that for a tour? No, it's fantastic. Absolutely amazing. The talks that they've had supposedly in the uh, Gus that about Blizzard of Oz and Diary of a Man Man, I, it, it would be amazing to see some effort like that put towards Bark and, and Ultimate Sin for sure. If Ozzy played the Ultimate Sin in its entirety, I would buy Ryan a shirt that just says rock across the front of it. And on the back, I'm going to put, uh, tell your mama that you're going to be late. That's what it's going to say oh. in the back. Oh, yeah, for sure. <laughs> hey, and just for fun, beneath it, put the little hyphen, the Gene Simmons. Yeah, for sure. <laughs> Absolutely. Ryan, thank you so much for joining us, man. It was awesome having you on as our first guest and one of many, many times. And personally, I know you're going through a lot with, with your health and everything. So thank you for coming on when, when you're not feeling the best. We do really appreciate it. No, and I, I appreciate you guys having me. You know, I just want to say for the record on here that I am incredibly proud of what you guys are doing here. It is absolutely awesome. I can't think of any two better people to, you know, man this helm. It's an honor knowing you guys and being friends with you guys and being able to dissect this amazing person's career the way that, that you are and 
being included in that, it means a lot. Keep it up. You know, I'm, I'm your biggest fan. So congratulations to you guys for everything you've got going on. And I, I can't wait to see where this goes. Thank you, man. That really means a lot. And we really, we can't thank you enough for that statement. And, you know, this show is geared towards people. It's, I don't want to say it's easy for us to do it, but it kind of is because we're gearing it towards ourselves. You know, we want to put out a show that we would want to listen to. And you're one yeah. of us. You're our brother. And the fact that you enjoy the show means the world to me, to Dan and I, because that's who it's geared for. Part of it also, and we've said it, you know, on numerous episodes, but thank you so much for the artwork. That was just a huge help. It made us look so much more professional. I think that really was the final piece of the puzzle to getting this thing off the ground and, and going. So we definitely appreciate that. You know, the three of us met on a, on a board, on a, on a Black Sabbath message board, and we just all instantly gravitated towards each other. You know, Josh and I just talked about this the other night, too. It's just amazing that we've been able to not only continue our friendship, but really grow it. I mean, we talk all fucking day, you know, listeners, just as a FYI, me, Ryan and Josh are constantly talking and texting all day. It's not even always music either. It can be, you know, we, no. love, we love, we love horror movies. Uh, we love, we have so many things in common, the three of us that we're always discussing something. And, you know, we love Ozzy so much, but we love all music. So there's all these other bands that we discuss. I mean, we talk about all of it. It's, it's a continually running thread. It's, it's the gift that keeps on giving, honestly, because if you're having a shitty day or you're at work and you're frustrated, but yet I look down and I see a text from one of these two fuckers, I pick it up almost instantly. They probably notice that I'm very quick to respond, but it's because I get excited when I see something from those guys because A, it's always a fun conversation, but two, I'm secretly praying that there's Aussie news in the in the context of what they're sending me. I'm, you know, I'm, I'm praying that it's like a new single release or something that I've been waiting on. You know, but I, I couldn't. You know, thank you guys enough for what you brought to my life, and I definitely appreciate it. Yeah, and we know that I'm the slowest to respond because I am 43 years older than both of you, and I don't know how to work a phone. Yeah. <laughs> I did start to call you out earlier myself when you talked about seeing, you know, the ultimate sin tour. And I started to ask Ryan what year he was born, but I refrained. But now that we're here, yeah. Ryan, what year were you born? I, I was born in 85. So, yeah. <laughs> That's awesome. Yeah. That's I, was, so cool. I, I was born and Dan was graduating college. and That's right. You know, just different times, different times, different eras. You know, to, to Josh's point, I think we, we hit a topic at least once a day where we're like, what the hell, how, how do we come together on this? But we do. And it's fantastic. It's a blast. Well, you know, we hit all corners, man. Cause like I said earlier in conversation before we got onto the show, it may have been on the show. I can't remember, but you know, Dan is out West. Ryan's in the Midwest. I'm in the South. So we cover each area of the country, but at the same time we cover each era of Aussie too in a weird way because Dan's a little bit older than us, so he covers the earlier years. He did see Jakey e. Lee live with Aussie. I came around on the Joe Holmes era right after Osmosis. Uh, it was my first Aussie concert. I got into Aussie right after No More Tears. And then you probably come along more around the Osmosis era, I'm assuming. Is that correct, uh, Ryan? Yeah, yeah. Right, right before uh, the Osmosis album came out, that was that, that whole summer was my uh, Aussie awakening, summer 95. Yeah. So we all come so, from different eras also, so it gives us just a different take and different perspective on all these songs. For sure, and I don't want to date myself even more, but I was into Ozzy when Randy was still alive, and I remember specifically the day he died always being grained in my head. But 
my mom wouldn't let me go to Ozzy show yet. I was just a little bit too young. Yeah, I think that's a great point. Well, he was a devil worshiper, so it's fair enough. Yeah, I used to have yeah. to argue with people all the fucking time about it. You guys have no idea what it was like. Literally. I once requested, there's a popular skating rink around here, and I requested Crazy Train while we were skating. And I had to argue with the DJ because he told me he was a, a Satan worshiper and he wouldn't play him. And now DJs won't quit playing that song all over the country. Every Isn't that football. ironic? <laughs> it's funny enough, I, I had the same, you know, it wasn't until the Osbournes that he was any kind of household name. I mean, from 95, I'm nine years old, and, and until the Osbournes debuted, I, mean, I was sent to the principal's office multiple times a week, like having my shirt inspected, turn it inside out. You know, he, he was, up until then, he was still, you know, the devil, even in the late 90s, so... I I experienced that too, you know. It was a you know it was a cool feeling having to walk into class with my tag sticking out because I had to turn my shirt inside out. Wow, nice, oh. nice. So I just want to leave with this before you take us out, Josh. Is please let us know your battle winners. That's the key here. Please start interacting us more with our Facebook page, our our Twitter, our Instagram, our YouTube page. We'd love to hear what your choices for the battle would be, and we also want to know. Why don't you help us pick our next battle? We'd love to hear what, what two albums you'd like, two Ozzy or Sabbath albums you'd like to see battled. Let us know. And thank you, guys. All Josh, right. take us home. But, yeah, we want to thank you guys again for tuning in. And, again, we are a product of Bod's Mayhem Hour. Definitely want to shout out John the Bod for uh, helping us get this thing off the ground and giving us a platform to put our opinions on Ozzy and all things Ozzy-related out here to you guys. Definitely can't forget him and appreciate him for doing that. But in the meantime, keep it heavy, guys. See you next week. I was watching some YouTube videos the other day of Ozzy, just random ones, and I was watching when he did I Don't Want to Stop with Gus G at the BlitzCon, which was Gus G's first gig, you know? It was actually Tommy's first gig also, and it was that moment when Ozzy's like, on bass, Mr. Blasco, on keyboards, Adam Wakeman, on drums, Tommy, I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> on I the first time I saw Ozzy with Robert Trujillo, he called him... Oh, it's a classic thing. I still, me and my brother say it to each other all the time, Robert Trajario. We laugh all the time about it. And he got Michael Borden all fucked up that's, to that scene. That's how people in Kentucky always pronounce it. Trajario? No. Not really, but I'm just joking.